The scripture reading today is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21, and can be found on page 966 in your pew Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. And Merry Christmas. I have a little frog in my throat. Or someone used to say, I have a frog in my throat and a toad in my nose. But, uh, but by God's grace, we'll, we'll have a chance to reflect and meditate on the scripture together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would guide us and direct us in your understanding of your scriptures. And we thank you for your word and your people through the centuries who have followed you. Teach us through the scriptures and through the witness of your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, all of us can think of teams that have made a huge impact on our country and our world, sometimes in our lives. I think, for example, now, Mark Whipple, notwithstanding, Mark is, is our local uh, Bostonian, and, uh, and he loves the Patriots. Um, I'm not a Patriots fan. Sorry, Jan. <laughs> I'm not a Patriots fan, but, but everyone has to recognize the reality of what Belichick and Brady did together for over, well over a decade and, and, uh, and admire the, the, the work that they did as a team. Think of other teams. Think of the Pixar team and, and the amazing shows that Pixar has put together. Toy Story, Finding Nemo, It's a Bug's Life, so many different ones that are great, great art and great storytelling. In Christianity, I think of the Billy Graham team. Now that may be too old for some of you, but the Billy Graham team existed together for years, working in ministry together. It wasn't just Graham preaching, it was Cliff Barrows leading the, 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 the music, it was George Beverly Shea singing, it was the Wilson brothers behind the scenes working out the, de the details, an amazing team. Probably one of the most impactful teams in the history of the church was a team that God formed, miraculously, really, back in the, in the 18th century. We think of the terms from our history classes called the Great Awakening. But you have to understand that in the time of the Wesleys and George Whitfield, the church was at a low, low point. Morality was at a low point. And 
The Wesleys were two brothers who grew up in the home. There were two of 14 children in this home. Their father was a pastor. Their mother was a godly woman. They grew up going to church and being good, good church kids. As they grew, they were what I would classify as sincere religious moralists. They went to church. They did good things. They tried to be obedient to the scriptures. But they really didn't know yet of the reality of what it meant to be a follower of Christ in a significant sense. Yes, they had gone through school. They had actually become Anglican priests. They actually went as missionaries from Great Britain to the United States, actually to the colonies back in those days. And they were utterly miserable failures. As a matter of fact, when John Wesley got back to, 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 to England, he said this, I went to America to convert the Indians, but who shall convert me? When they returned to England, both John and his brother Charles eventually were confronted by the gospel, and each of them recorded in their own way the experience of being born again, being transformed in their souls. The, the, the things which they had read, the things which they had studied now became life to them because the Spirit of God came into their souls and they were born again. They joined together with George Whitfield, who had also experienced rebirth earlier, and they began to do radical things. Going against the, the patterns of the church, they went out into the open air, into the cities, into the countryside, and they began preaching in the open air the gospel of Christ, and people became came converted. Thousands of people became converted. And many of these converts couldn't read. And they had, they had very little background with Christianity. Others were church attenders, but they were just sitting soakers, you know. They came and listened to sermons, which weren't really focused around scripture. And they really didn't understand what it meant to follow Christ. All of these people from these varied backgrounds were coming and hearing the gospel. And their lives were being transformed. Now, how do you take these thousands of people who are coming to the faith and train them? and teach them to understand the scriptures, to understand what their faith was all about. They began reading programs. They started small groups. But one of the key training aspects of their discipleship was music and singing. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns and choruses. And the purpose behind that was to train people in understanding the gospel. And the, and, and the Christmas carol that we just sang a few moments ago, if you listen to it carefully, was a discipleship training course, not only in understanding Jesus' birth, but understanding rebirth and the process that God puts us through to grow in him. As a matter of fact, from all the ideas in there, there's at least three ideas that flow from this hymn that every Christian should know. And I summarize them in three words. Reconcile, restore, and king. Reconcile, restore, and king. The first word is, is reconcile. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. We want to take a moment and sing that verse. Verse one of Hark the herald angels sing. 
Listen carefully to the words. mild. Why? Because God and sinners are reconciled. What does it mean to experience reconciliation? A few weeks ago, I shared in the sermon that I worked for a number of years in a CPA firm while I was in graduate school. I had no qualifications whatsoever. I never did better than a C in a math class. But by God's grace, I got this job and they began to slowly teach me things. And one of the things that we learned how to do were bank reconciliations. We had clients bring in their bank accounts and we worked to make sure that their accounts were reconciled. What's involved in reconciliation? Simply taking the ledger, the personal ledger and reviewing their credits and then looking at their debits and making sure things matched. And if they matched together properly, it was reconciled. That was a reconciliation. If not, we had to dig deeper and find the mistakes. Now, in the spiritual realm, our heavenly account before God is in miserable shape. We have a huge debt. The scriptures say there is none that is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have no credits available to reconcile us and reconcile our debt before the holy God. And yet we read this morning in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 and 21, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. It says, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This has been called the great transfer the sins on my ledger that were against me were taken and placed on his account. And his righteousness was taken from his account and placed on my account. Now, how is Christ's credit applied to us? We sang it in verse 3. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Jesus was born to reconcile our account with God. And the result is spiritual rebirth. And Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the Wesleys are calling out to us this morning, have you experienced second birth? They lived years of their life in the church, serving God, missionaries, but they hadn't experienced rebirth. Are some of you this morning in that condition? Have you been a faithful churchgoer? 
but you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit transforming your life? I received a phone call from a dear friend about a month ago. I've been praying for this friend for over 10 years. A brilliant guy. He grew up in the church, went to Sunday school, was involved in all the activities, the youth activities, went to a Christian college, went to seminary, gained theological degrees, knew all the answers, and he walked away from the faith. For 10 years, he stayed away from the gospel. And I knew, I remained in connection with him and friendship with him. I knew all the arguments in the world I knew would not work because this guy had studied all of them. He knew them. I knew the only thing that would work is if he had a confrontation with the living God in Christ, like Paul the Apostle had on the road to Damascus, like John and Charles Wesley experienced after coming back from the United States. The only thing that would change him is if the living God, not a concept or a theological idea, but the real true God confronted him. He called me a month ago. He said, Bob, I was working on some things. He said, suddenly I knew the presence of Christ in the room. I knew God was calling me back to himself. He said, I knew the issue wasn't having answers to all my questions, but believing in him in faith and trusting in him and following him. And he is continuing now to go to church and continuing to get back into understanding the gospel. Friends, have you been born again? Do you know what it's like to experience the living God in your soul. That's what the Wesleys are calling us to this morning. If you don't know, let me urge you to go to Christ and say, Lord God Almighty, open my eyes to yourself. I see that I am in desperate need of you. I can't pay the debts of my sin. Help me to understand Christ's death on the cross. Please pay that price for me and transform my soul. Jesus promises that he will do that for us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The first word to remember is reconcile. God and sinners reconciled. But the second word is restore. As exciting it is to experience new birth, as exciting it is to see a baby's birth, it's only the beginning. It begins a long road of growth. And it's the same thing with the second birth. It's only the beginning. There's now a long road of spiritual growth ahead. And that spiritual growth is reflected in stanza four of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Let's sing that together, stanza four understanding what it means to experience restoration and growth in him. Come desire of nations, come fix it. 
says in that verse it says come desire of nations come fix in us thy humble home that's the idea of rebirth God coming and living in us and making us his humble home but just as a baby grows and life struggle begins so the spiritual struggle life begins and so he, he writes rise the woman's conquering seed bruise in us the serpent's head what does that mean He's referring back to Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve had fallen and sinned against God, God cursed Satan. And in that passage, it says that Satan's head was going to be bruised by the coming seed of the woman, Jesus, bruising us, the serpent's head. What that means is the sinful nature that is now within us is to be bruised and beaten by the power of the gospel in our lives. Paul says that before we are born again, we are like Adam, under Satan's power. But it says, that, it says in stanza five, he goes on and he says, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface, stamp thine image in its place. What does efface mean? To wipe out or to remove. He's talking about a spiritual process of growth that Paul reflects in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. In those verses, Paul says, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So you see what the Wesleys are stressing? They're saying the spiritual warfare is taking place within you, bruising us the spirit's head. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Stamp thine image in its place. Restore the process of learning to walk in the spirit. Waiting upon the Lord in prayer, reading the scripture, walking by faith. I used, a, a number of months ago, I used this illustration, but it's too good not to use it again. You remember in World War II, the Allies gathered together for their big push against the Axis powers. June 6th, 1944, the Allies landed in Normandy and developed a beachhead. And everyone knew that once they took that beachhead and began to go through France and into Germany, that the war was over, but the battle still had to be won. New birth is like that first beachhead. The serpent's head has been bruised, but the spiritual warfare continues. Walking in the spirit and not in the desires of the flesh is our day-to-day -day battle of the process of being restored.
And that's why we need the final word that this hymn is teaching us. Not just the idea of being reconciled, not just the idea of being restored, but the third word is king. The Wesleys wanted their people who are coming to Christ to know that Jesus was their king. Now you have to understand that these people were living under the monarchy and they knew what the legal structure was. But the Wesleys were saying, understand that your final king, that the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings over your life is Jesus. That's what he stresses in the second stanza. Let's sing that stanza together. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. He's saying the king of the universe has come. Chris read it earlier in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. For on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is king. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Paul's writing, and he says, He, God, raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He's higher than Putin. He's higher than Xi Jinping. He's higher than any ruler that has ever served or worked in this world. He is the king. He is the Lord. And he is the one we are serving. And he is the one who cares for us as his children. Ephesians 2 verse 6, Paul says, We, in our rebirth, have been raised up with him. And we are literally seated with him in the heavenly places. Jesus has reconciled our account with the Father. Jesus is restoring us to his image. 
We're no longer under the ruler of the darkness, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that continues to work in the sons of disobedience. We're under the rule of King Jesus, and Jesus brings to his, us to his Father and gives us new life and calls us his sons and his daughters. During the Civil War, the rules of the army were harsh. There's a true story of a young, late adolescent, early adult who was drafted into the army. And he had an older father who was praying for him and caring for him. And his, this son who was in the army fell asleep while on guard duty. And the standard punishment for falling asleep under those circumstances was to be shot. The father received word that his son was to be killed as punishment for falling asleep. The father knew that the President Abraham Lincoln was a merciful man. He'd heard of his pardons, so he traveled to Washington, D.C. to try to get to before the president to see if he would pardon his son. But in every way he tried, he was blocked. There was only certain days you could go see, only certain hours, and he wasn't, the president wasn't available. He couldn't even get into the White House grounds. He was blocked by the guards. He was broken. And he was outside of the White House crying because of the inevitable fate of his son. And as he was weeping, a little boy was just walking by. And he came up to him and he said, sir, what's wrong? And the man explained to him about his son that he tried to come to the White House to see the president to have his son pardoned, but he was unable to get in. And the little boy took him by the hand, said, come with me. He walked into the White House grounds, past the guards, past the attendants, up the stairs, into the president's office, and said, Father, please help this man. The soldier was pardoned. That little boy was Todd Lincoln. Lincoln listened to his son and pardoned the man's son. The Father in heaven has seen the sacrifice of his son. And Jesus has said, please pardon my children. And the Father's pardon has been issued to you if you're a follower of Christ. So Charles Wesley wrote this hymn, for you to know that if you were born again, you are reconciled and you have direct access to the Father. If you are born again, you are being spiritually restored by his spirit into the image of his son. If you are born again, you are no longer under the power of Satan. King Jesus has freed you from condemnation and made you a child of the Father. Friends, 
Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we worship you for your birth, we are amazed at the reconciliation that you have brought about. Lord Jesus, continue to work in our hearts, restoring us to our true image of Adam. And teach us, Lord Jesus, that you are the king of kings and you are working your purposes out until you return and establish the new heavens and the new earth. Continue to live within us and form in us a humble home, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.